This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this Monday, July 26th of 2021. I am Paul Gallant and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. One you can text into 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. One that you can also tweet at. At Galan says on Twitter at 710 ESPN, of course, on Twitter too. How about the Seattle Mariners and what they were able to do this weekend? They took three of four from the Oakland A's. I got to say, with the way that things looked on Thursday, did not expect that outcome. And you got to give the Mariners a whole lot of credit because while it wasn't exactly pretty in any of the games that they won, I mean, they were winning it by the skin of their teeth, you're still going to take it, especially when... You are getting plays like this in Sunday's game where you have yet another great play on defense, but by another person that you're probably not expecting it from. Chapman gets a lead at first. Now the set by Ryder and the pitch on the way, swinging a ground ball left side and through a wide open left side of the infield. Rounding second, heading for third is Chapman. The throw to third to Seager, and it's in time. What a throw by Bowers. Jake Bowers gets to the base hit in left center field, fires a strike to Kyle Seager at third. Chapman trying to go from first to third, is out at third base for the second out of the inning. What a throw. What a throw by Jake Bowers. So, you get defense from Jake Bowers on Sunday. Then on Friday and Saturday, you have the Oakland A's piddling themselves. <laughs> Here was the end of Saturday night's game where Mitch Haniger scared poor little Trevino into doing this. And the pitch on the way to Haniger. Way outside in the dirt. Gets on by Garcia. Here comes Kellick on the score. Hands in the air. And the Mariners win it on a wild pitch. Five to four. So they take three of four, and they win things in very unconventional fashion on Friday and on Saturday with some help from the Oakland A's who could not get out of their own way in this series. And now, after this weekend's series, three straight wins three straight one-run wins, the Mariners are now an MLB best 23-8 in one-run games. And the question of today's show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, they have gotten off to this start somehow, some way. Is it flukish? Or is there a concrete reason for the Mariners' ability to get it done in close games? I'm going to make a case for the latter. I'm still not sure. I'm still not sure this is anything more than an anomaly that might even itself out by the end of the year with something that some people call a regression to the mean. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But what I can say is the Mariners are able to do this because of the defense that you heard there from Jake Bowers. And they're able to do it because of the bullpen that we saw this weekend. Yeah, Yusei Kikuchi was awesome on Friday night. He had 12 strikeouts. But on Saturday, you only got about two and two-thirds innings from Logan Gilbert. So you're thinking to yourself, man, if Logan Gilbert can't even get out of the third inning, what's going to happen the rest of this game and the rest of this series? And the Mariners' bullpen stepped in on Saturday with six and a third innings of relief, only allowing one run along the way. And in the three wins this weekend, 
they threw 12 and two-thirds innings, allowing just four hits, two earned runs, and striking out 15. That's really impressive. And it's coming against an Oakland team that, while maybe not the scariest of lineups, is a playoff caliber one, as we have seen them in the big dance the last couple of seasons. So you're getting wins against a team like Oakland, and you're able to do it in this fashion, and you're now 6-4 and four against Oakland on the season, and you won't play Oakland for a hot minute. You can also make the case that maybe Seattle's on the same playing field as a team like Oakland. But as far as the success in the one-run games, maybe there needs to be a little bit more context, and I'll give it to you. Look at what the A's did this weekend. I think there is skill in just being able to compose yourself under pressure. The A's clearly could not do that this weekend. I mean, how do you lose two games on passed balls? That sounds like something that we would have seen from the Mariners in 2019 when they were a mess defensively. Two guys maybe colliding in the outfield or something like that. This year, the Mariners have just become a team that doesn't make those kind of mistakes. And they deserve a lot of credit for it. I I think you could point to Scott's service. I think you could also just point to whatever's taken place over the last two seasons, the short season last year and and, and this year thus far, There just seems to be, I think, an expectation that you don't make mistakes like this. And that's, I think, really important for the Mariners to have when we look at them in the grand scheme of the American League wildcard race. Because the other team that is a serious competitor, in addition to Oakland, to Seattle, as far as maybe being able to get that second wildcard berth, it really seems like it's going to be either Boston or Tampa Bay with that first one. The American League East race is a back-and-forth, back-and-forth seesaw. But... Boston, you saw, rally from a 4 nothing deficit against those New York Yankees and actually win. And they were getting no hit in the eighth inning. The Yankees blew it. And the Yankees have been blowing games left and right and right and left because their bullpen, despite being ridiculously spent on, ridiculously uh, salaried, compensated, etc., they can't get out of their own way of late either. So... 23 and 8, it does seem unsustainable. It does seem a little bit flukish. But at the same time, they're not blowing games while these other two teams are. So I'm still going to wait to get a little bit bigger sample size, but at a certain point, I'm going to have to shut up, and I can't wait to shut up. I mean, they're, they're doing it for us. And while these other teams can't figure out how to sit on leads and win these close games, the Mariners keep doing it, defying the odds. I'm Paul Gallant. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. Some interesting questions here. Paul is a longtime fan. The NFL reigns supreme. But if the Mariners are still in the thick of it come September, who will be the talk of the town? The young upstart M's or the big dogs of the block? The Hawks. It's going to be the Seahawks. Let's be honest here. I, I, I don't think that the Mariners are going to generate that kind of buzz until we see some real star power. And we have not quite seen that yet. You know, it, it's it, going back in time to the days of Ken Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson and Alex Rodriguez and, to a lesser extent, Edgar Martinez. I mean, you had you had some real stars. Ichiro Suzuki, too. You don't quite have that yet. What you do have is a really scrappy baseball team that is 
not just worthy, but demands your respect. Respect them. They've been good. And they somehow win these close games. Text in 710-710. Paul, please, please suggest people chant, let's go cheaters, the next three days about the Houston Astros. Let's come up with something more creative than that. And I think we could do that by the end of today's show. We are the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, by the way. As I say over and over and over again. That is how you create branding, folks. You don't even necessarily have to prove it with any statistics or facts. Text in 710-710. Paul, I hate the Yankees, but never ever discount them when the playoffs start off. Being brutally honest here. I get that, and I have been waiting for New York to figure it out, but they haven't figured it out yet. And, I mean, right now, you're hearing a lot of whining from that fan base about the manager being at fault. I don't think it's the manager at this point. You know, yeah, he's maybe made some suspect bullpen decisions, but no decision that you make with that bullpen should be suspect. They're getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. Don't these Mariners remind you of the 2013 Seahawks? We only had potential then. No stars. Ah, no, no. No, look, I as as someone who was watching from far away, everyone knew who Richard Sherman was at that point. Did everyone think that Richard Sherman was the best quarterback in the NFL? No, but Richard Sherman put the Seahawks on the map, I felt like, with that you mad bro moment that he had in Tom Brady's face after that dramatic comeback victory that they had where Russell Wilson throws that deep touchdown pass to, uh, uh, was it Sidney Rice? Um, to win that game in 2012. No, I felt like they had been on the map before that. I'm Paul Gallant. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. We'll get to some more of your texts here. And my question, you can answer this if you so choose. Do the Mariners have a 23-8 and record in one-run games for a reason? Or is it a fluke? You can watch the Paul Gallant Show, 710sports.com slash video. You can listen, of course, on your 710 app or on your smart speaker. If you're not listening the old-fashioned way, this hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Right now, it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I can't complain. I mean, you got the, I'm about to go on vacation. No No, I don't have any complaints. None. None. Uh, The only complaint that I sort of have is that uh, there wasn't enough outer space in the most recent Fast and Furious. Not enough. Oh boy! Yeah, they, they drove they drove a car in space, but they didn't they didn't actually drive a car in space. I'm way behind. They were they were still just you know driving around town the last time I watched one. I was under the impression that they were going to be driving uh, <laughs> along the surface of the moon, and I'm disappointed that they did not do that and that they did not fight dinosaurs. But you know what? You, you can't you can't have it perfect in every single Fast and Furious movie. So. No. You know, you know, we'll take the big weekend for the Mariners and the Kraken selecting a uh, a mask guy and Matty Beneers. Yeah, pretty good weekend. Yeah, that's true. Although he did not endear himself. No, I know better than to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that, Matty. Come on. Don't bring up your love for the Patriots in your first Seattle yeah. press conference. Don't do that. Hide it. You 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 hide it, <laughs> and you and you and you smile on the inside when good things happen. I've heard this. You know, it's not like I'd actually do this, but I've just heard this. All right. Well, first up, uh, we didn't. You, we got into the Mariners' big weekend, but so far we haven't discussed that Cole Irvin was back. The ace pitcher was back for the first time since he made these comments after facing them in May. Really, a team like that, I mean, yeah, I, there was a lot of weak contact and, and some swings that, you know, ended up being hits. But I think at the at the end of the day, uh, 
you know, just pitch pitch execution needs to be a lot better, and and a, a, and a team like that should not be putting up ten hits mm. against against me or mm. or anyone. I mean, I'm 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 extremely disappointed mm. in in my efforts tonight. Mm. And then Kyle Seeger was asked about it by Ryan Divish post game. Kyle, did you had you guys talk, discussed Irvin's comments that he made after the, the last time you guys got ten hits off of him and some of the things he said about you post game? What happened? I'm sorry. Did you guys discuss any of the comments as a team that Cole Irvin had uh, about you saying that he should never give up 10 hits to a team like you guys? Um, did you guys talk about that at all? That, that pitcher, the pitcher said that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know we'd faced him before. So, yeah, no, that's fine. Seager definitely knew. Well, honestly, and I love it. I love the trolling. But wouldn't it actually be bad preparation if you didn't know you had faced that picture before? Aren't you supposed to kind of scout him and know? I think it speaks to the Mariners' uh, competence at the plate, actually, Mora. <laughs> That's my spin zone I mean, it. I love it. I'm glad you said it. But yes, of course, I'm pretty positive he knew. He 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 is somebody that knows what is, what is said. Uh, let's just leave it at that. And I'm not going to fault somebody for that, but he knew. And also, uh, Tom Murphy knew, and Tom Murphy used Cole Irvin's words exactly against him. Honestly, we don't even remember facing him. Like, yeah, I mean, we came in today just like he was every other pitcher, and, you know, we treated him just like we would a pitcher like that. A pitcher like that, which is fantastic at the end. Irvin had this to say after his start. They know how to put damage and score runners when they're in position to score, which is factually accurate. I really just didn't have it in that third inning it was just embarrassing. Well, it's not embarrassing, Cole. This is just standard when you go up against the Mariners. They own you. They own you. I saw a texter suggest that a team like, hashtag team like that should be the Mariners' new hashtag. I kind of like that. Team like that, yeah, it's better than CS Rise. CS Rise is lame. Oh. I'm just saying. You could do better than that. All right, next up. Uh, what really... Really quickly, just because I can't stand the A's and I feel like more people should get on uh, their case the way that I do, Bob Melvin, manager of the Oakland A's on the end of Saturday night's game where Trevino um, piddled himself and, you know, had a couple of walks and was scared of Mitch Hanniger and had the wild pitches that ultimately saw them lose. Melvin, when asked about the intimidation factor by Mitch Hanniger, said, yeah, that was a part of it. But, quote, it took an oddity for them to score a run. And it's this passive-aggressive mamby-pamby BS that comes from the A's that's driving me nuts. You guys don't matter. Can you please stop acting like you're some playoff team that matters? Every single time you go to the playoffs, you lose. This has been the case for, like, 25 years, okay? Like, let's stop acting like, like, like you're holier than anybody. You play in a toilet. You play in an actual toilet for now. You're about to leave your city and just strike a dagger into the heart of all of your fans, and you guys act like you've done anything. Like, win a playoff series. This is the same team that we have seen do the same with, like, Houston. Like, do this, like, trash talking. Like, you guys don't matter. Can we please stop with this, like, arrogance? Cole Irvin, Bob Melvin? Jeez. Anywho, thank you. You and the A's. Augusters. So it's not August yet. So maybe they'll start playing well in August. All right. The other story is that just before we wrapped up Danny and Gallant uh, a few minutes ago, Ian Rappaport tweeted the latest from the Aaron Rodgers saga. He said quarterback Aaron Rodgers has indicated to people close to him that he does plan to play for Green Bay this season. That is the expectation. Many factors at play. But with GM Brian Gutenkoos saying he is hopeful for a positive outcome, there is a glimmer of optimism. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe this? Uh, I guess, uh, I mean, there's a reason that's coming out now, right? I just can't believe after all this. I really thought he might actually dig in. I think he looks full of it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, oh, wow, it's so bad. It's so bad. But he's still going to show up for the start of the season. Oh, it's not so bad, huh, is it? The team that was 28-8 the last two years that got to the NFC Championship in each of those seasons. Two seed one year, one seed the next year. Not so bad, huh? I mean, I think things are bad. I think it's going to be tense there this year. But I just thought he was willing to go all the way. Yeah, and he's not. And like he, of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, has the power to make this happen. And if he's not going to do it, none of these quarterbacks are going to do it. And you know what? Here's the good thing about that. Because Russell Wilson's not going to do it. If there's no precedent... Russell Wilson is not going to do something like this. And I know that that was an, that was an idea that would have happened. Here's the, here's the great thing about Russ. It's his own worst enemy in this situation as far as him potentially having the leverage to do what his agent potentially wanted him to do this offseason. He cares too much about what other people think about him. And he would never actually go follow through with sitting out because he cares about his legacy. And you know what? I respect Russ for that. Aaron Rodgers does not strike me as someone who ultimately cares that much about it. And yet here he is still probably going to go back to the Green Bay Packers because he is full of it. Full of it. Anywho, that's what's trending. Brought to you by King Seating and Air. We hit the post, too, with Maura Dooley. All right, guys, 206-421-3776 is how you call in. You can text in, too, 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. I do like this idea, Maura. Hashtag team like that. We should make that a thing. Hashtag team like that. This is great. Has a good ring to it. Yeah. We'll sell some T-shirts. Are we allowed to do that? Ooh, got some some shadowy office figures walking by. I think they're shaking their heads. Okay, we're going to go instead, because it's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, 206-421-3776 is how you call in. You can text in to 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Question of today's show, is the Mariners' 23-8 record in one-run games actually something that has a reason behind it, or is it flukish? You get to answer that next. Your chance to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. A little bit earlier, somebody asked, hey, if the Mariners are still playing well and the Seahawks season has begun, what's the conversation going to be about? This is a football town in my opinion. Text, are you kidding me, Paul? Star power doesn't matter. We've waited nearly two decades just to witness a playoff game. Many of us in my age group don't ever remember when they were last in the playoffs. They will 100% be the talk of the town over the Seahawks. Eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I feel like if they are maybe a serious playoff contender, that's one thing. If they win the wild card game, which I imagine they would be in the play-in of, buzz builds up a little bit. If they're in the A, and look, I know people are going to be happy to see him in the playoffs, but that wears off after a little bit, right? It's not something that's going to last for weeks and weeks. They have to win. They have to win that wild card game, period. They have to win it. If they don't win it, then it, 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 it evaporates right there. They get to the divisional series, then, okay, now we're talking. Now we're cooking with some gas here. But I, I don't know. I don't, if football, football season's football season, guys. Now, to a texter's point, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line because it has to do with me dumping on the Oakland A's. To be fair, Paul, the Seahawks never win in the playoffs either. Can't stay, uh, can't say quiet to the A's when the Hawks are the same. No, you can say quiet to the A's. The Seahawks have actually won something. It was a while ago. But what really, what has Oakland ever done? 
Oakland had a movie made about them winning 20 games in a season where they still lost in the first round All of the right, playoffs. All right, Paul. You got people waiting to talk to you on the phones. Enough of your Oakland hate. <laughs> 206-421-3776. Let me pick my axe to grind. Sean is in Centralia. Sean, what's going on? Real quick, Paul. I enjoy your axe to grind on Oakland. But <laughs> two quick things. One, the Mariners, the ownership has never been all in. Meaning, even when they did get to the playoffs, it's one of the things that many people believe led to Lou Piniella leaving, mm-hmm. is that they would not make the extra move that they needed to make, that he felt they needed to make. And they've never really been a, an organization that, in my opinion, has been all in. And I think it's time for them to be all in. If, you're, if your farm system is as good as they say it is, then utilize it just like the Padres have done and other teams have done to get yourself over the hump that may, you know, to make that, you know, move so the fans actually have a real true reason to believe in you. Now, secondly, and I'll make this quick, as far as the vaccine goes, one of the biggest problems with the vaccine issue right now, in my opinion, is the media and the government kept coming out far too long about look at how quickly we got the vaccine to the market, which created a lot of hesitancy. Now, I am fully vaccinated. Sean, Sean, uh, look, I I appreciate the sentiment on that side of things. And and maybe we could dive back into some of the NFL stuff with the with the vaccine. Let's let's stick to the matter at hand, though. That's the one question. And the, the problem is when, when we open up this can of worms, it just goes in so many different directions. And my big problem is I try to talk about it down the middle and about what I do know. And I know that no matter what step I take, I know that there is a, a giant hive of people that are waiting to pounce on whatever. And you know what? To this point, when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to Washington State and Nick Rolovich, I'm curious to see how it plays out with Rolovich at Washington State. I mean, he's not going to Pac-12 Media Day. That doesn't look great. And as far as with the NFL side of things, with Frank Reich and the positive test that he has, but there's no symptoms, that to me is just strange. And if if we're if we're looking, I guess, for guys with with no symptoms but still with positive tests, then how messy is this going to get in the coming weeks? Anyway, I have lots of questions. Sadly, I can't answer all of them. I know my limitations, so I will move on. Anywho, uh, to answer Sean's first point, and this is about essentially the Mariners going all in and about fans having reasons to believe in them long term. When you look at where they're at right now, you would hope that 20 years out of the playoffs would make them realize that what they did that potentially sent Lou Pinella packing because they weren't as aggressive as they needed to be would be something that they would be willing to do this time. But I'll ask you just this question right now before we move on to the sports pit with Michael Bumpus. Do you want to go all in right now? Do you really want to go all in right now? Because, again, it could work out. Who knows? Baseball's playoffs are weird. But do you really want to go all in right now? And I will just think of every single time that I have played poker with my friends and I have decided to, to, to be a little gamesy. At first, it has not often worked out for me. I think you want to wait a little bit before you're going to go all in. I'm Paul Galan. It's the Paul Galan Show. Michael Bumpus joins us in the sports pit next, and I've got five questions for him. The five biggest questions heading into Seahawks training camp. Don't go anywhere. It's 1030. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, 
You're going to get your, you're going to fail. With Paul Golan. And joining me right now in the sports pit, as he does every single Monday at 1030, the one, the only, Michael Bump as Bump. How are you now? Galant, I'm doing well. How about yourself? I can't complain. Seahawks training camp right around the corner. The Mariners are playing well. With training camp starting later this week, I thought that I would ask you about the five biggest Seahawks questions that I have heading into camp that actually can be answered in camp. Very specific there. So let's start with my fifth one. Are we going to see Alden Smith at all? And forget the legal matters. What is Alden Smith going to be able to bring to the table? Because one of the reasons, Bump, I'm a little bit curious as to what he'll bring to the table is that even though he had that awesome game against the Seahawks last year, the Cowboys, for whatever reason, didn't see fit to re-sign him at what I believe would have likely been, given all the strikes that he's had, a really reasonable rate this offseason. They were totally fine letting him walk. So, look, I don't know that Alden Smith's going to be much of a contributor this season. I know other people feel differently. What do you think we're going to learn about Alden Smith in the coming weeks? Yeah, Paul, we have to look at Alden Smith kind of like how we will look at Josh Gordon, right? If Josh were to join this team again, we would not expect him to be a leader in any category. You're just looking for him to make some big plays, to be that freaking nature that we're used to seeing over the years. And I think that's what you should expect if we do see Alden Smith. Will we see him? I don't think we will at the beginning of the season. I don't have any inside information. I don't know what's going on legally. That's just the feeling that I, that I get because I feel like there's no rush to get him out there. There is some depth at that defensive line spot. If you do bring him in, he's going to be spotty. He's not going to be an every-down type of dude. So there's no rush. I think you roll with who you have. But if Alden Smith does show up, look at him as we would Josh Gordon. Question number four. We, we've touched on this a couple of times with your guy, the one, the only, Marquise Blair. Where do you think the Seahawks are going to start off using Blair going into training camp? Is he the number one nickel corner, or is he going to be competing maybe with Ugo Amadi or somebody else to get back to that number one spot that he had going into last year? He's going to compete with Ugo Amadi, and he has to because Ugo was healthy. Ugo was available. Ugo was there for most of the season last year. When you're coming off of an injury, you have to kind of ease your way back into it. Unless you are just a pro bowler, five, six-time pro bowler, uh, you're established in this league, everyone knows what you bring to the table, that's when you just get inserted when camp starts. But because both these young men are young and don't have that much experience, he has to battle, but I assume he wins that job, Paul. I love the way he plays in that nickel spot. He's long. He's fearless. I think Ugo is serviceable at that spot as well. But I really like what Marquise Blair brings to the table. I think he competes, but eventually he takes over that spot. Any concern over just the knee and, and being in that spot where you're going to be doing a lot of more short, twitchy movements in that slot spot as maybe opposed to on the outside? Yeah, there's always a concern, man. You, you mess up your knee, um, you're going to second-guess a lot of things. But hopefully he's young enough to kind of just get those thoughts out of his mind and just play ball. That's why you have, he has to compete. That's why you have yeah. to have him in the rotation because we don't know how that knee is going to respond. My five biggest Seahawks questions headed into training camp that can actually be answered in training camp with Michael Bumpus on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. Is DJ Reed the Seahawks' best cornerback? Is he the best cornerback? So now we're comparing him with Trey Flowers and Witherspoon. Those are the top three guys right there. Now, if you compare him with just Witherspoon, DJ Reed has played, I think, 41 games. Witherspoon has played 47 um, DJ Reed has two interceptions. Witherspoon has four. So just off the numbers, you're going to give the edge to Witherspoon. Slightly more experienced um, and has made a couple more plays Size. than DJ. 
size. Yeah, like he looks like the corner that you expect to line up for the Seattle Seahawks. And I think he's the better corner overall right now. I think DJ still has a bit more to prove. Ritherspoon has played more meaningful downs. Yes, he's coming off of a, a bit of a run with injuries. Didn't play his best football. But when you look at the film, the way that he plays, the way he responds to the football in the air, that's what you want from your corners. I think DJ Reed is a very good corner. But right now, going into camp, I give the edge to Witherspoon. I'm curious to see what Witherspoon can bring to the table and if he can tap into what he was at the beginning of 2019. He had a couple of really good games, specifically in coverage of Mike Evans on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers early on in that year. You should go back and look at it. He is an intriguing prospect, and of course he's got that size, yeah. the 6'3 size that we typically see from the Seahawks. As we continue, the five biggest Seahawks questions that I have heading into training camp that can actually be answered in camp. We have heard so many sunshiny things said about Daryl Taylor, the Seahawks' second-round pick last year. We have yet to see him do really anything. And I'm curious, is Taylor going to be as awesome as he sounds? No, he's not because he's young and everyone's hyping him up so much. I think he's going to be good. But if you're expecting him to come out there and just be a KJ Wright, be a Bruce Irvin, and just have his, his fingerprints all over the game, I just don't see that happening early. Now, as you get these snaps, there's no substitution for experience. Once you've been in third and eighth, 25 to 30 times, once you've had to set the edge, once you've played against a Derrick Henry, a tough running back to bring down, you start to gain muscle memory, you start to gain confidence because of experience. So initially, no, he's not going to be as good as everyone says he's going to be. Will he be okay? Yeah, I think he'll be fine. But you know how this time goes, Paul. This is the offseason, right? Yeah. We're just looking for things to believe in. And right now we're looking to believe in Daryl Taylor because we didn't see him last year, and he's going to play. It looks like he's filling the role of KJ. So right now, no, he's not going to be as good as we think he, he's going to be. But the ceiling is higher for this guy, and I think eventually he's going to be a good ball player. Last question with Michael Bumpus on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline in the Sports Pit. The five biggest Seahawks questions heading into camp that actually can be answered in camp. How much better can Shane Waldron have the offense from the beginning of training camp to the end? How much serious progress do you think can be made as they install all of these things and they actually have full contact and they try to practice all the scenarios that they might? How much progress do you think, Bump, that they can realistically make over the coming weeks? Man, I think a lot of progress can be made. And I think that because there are so many veterans on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, from your offensive lineman, you did draft a rookie at Forsyth, but he's not really going to play much early. Damian's going into his second year. He's probably the second-best lineman you have. You have the best duo receiver tandem in the game on the outside with Lockett and Russ. I mean, excuse me, Lockett and Metcalf. You throw Russ in there, he got 32. I mean, this offense is just built to win right now. And when you have veteran guys, guys who have played in multiple offenses, this will be a new offense for DK. But guys who have been in the league for a while and have this confidence and know how to prepare, you can kind of move along faster than you would if you had a a first-year, second-year quarterback, if you had a a first-year receiver that you're relying on on the outside. That's just not what I see with this personnel. So I expect them to make a lot of progress. I expect them to be deep into that playbook by the time the season starts. And then it's about responding to the adjustment that the defense are going to make once they finally see this offense on tape. That is Michael Bumpus, everybody. You want to be following him on Twitter, at Michael Bumpus 5 as we get closer and closer to Seahawks training camp. And he'll be back with us on Wednesday on Danny and Gallant in the 8 o'clock hour. Bump, thanks so much, man. Gallant, man, I'll holler at you. Sounds good. That's Michael Bumpus, everybody. All right, let's shift back into the Seattle Mariners. The question of today's show, the Mariners have a 23-8 and record in one-run games. Is it for a reason? Is there something behind it? Or is it a fluke? You get to answer that 
and we have some interesting questions to work in as well on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Question of today's show. Do the Mariners have a... The Mariners do have a 23-8 record in one-run games this reason. This season. I can't speak English all of a sudden. Is it for a reason or is it for a fluke? 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You can call in to 206-421-3776. Really quickly, I've got about a five and a half on a scale of 10 going into the Mariners' three-game set against the Houston Astros starting tonight. You can hear it right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Houston's on a completely different playing field than Oakland and their little pop gun operation. You know, that that Oakland doesn't have money and thinks it's cute to play in the dump where Houston's got a lineup one through nine that's just a absolute wagon. And it's gonna be hard for the Mariners starters to consistently get out and I would say even more so to get through the fifth, to get into the sixth to make it easy for Seattle's bullpen. Because while it's pitching well, you don't want to put too much of a burden on it, especially in a series like this. So tonight's game is, I think, the biggest wild card. Houston's putting Luis Garcia on the mound. Seattle's putting Darren McCacken out there, who held it down in relief after Keenan Middleton's opener was such a disaster. I really don't know what to make of tonight's game. I think Tuesday, you got Lance McCullers on the mound for... Um, Houston, I feel like they have the leg up in that one. But Wednesday, you have Yusei Kikuchi on the hill against Jake Odorizzi. I think you should win Wednesday. Tuesday, I think you lose. Monday, uh, tonight, I I really don't know what happens. But I'm feeling pretty good going into this series, and honestly, considering how good Houston is, I did not think I would be saying that about the Mariners coming out of this weekend. They deserve a lot of credit for what they did over the course of the weekend. Let's get to some texts. 710-710 of the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Where are all those real Mariner fans who want Jerry Depoto and Scott Service's head on a platter now that the Mariners took two of three from the A's after they were so hot after the first game of the series? And that is referring to Friday's show. A lot of people were mad at the Mariners. And I was actually the one that was holding down the fort with positive vibes. It was me, of all people. I know. Moore is laughing. I, I, I honestly was shocked, but... People were way too down on the team going into the weekend. You were. I, I was saying that you were saving all your negative vibes for the Kraken at yeah. that point. Yeah, because the Kraken, like, uh, look, what are you expecting out of them in year one? This is not me dumping on them, by but the way. But you were very positive and turned Thank out you. to be right. See? Well, I don't know. If, I, you know what? I don't even know if I predicted them to win the series. I, I was basically sitting back and saying, okay, I hope I'm surprised. But I am surprised that there are the amount of people that still are looking at Scott Service and at Jerry DePoto and are like, oh, you know, like, I don't I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you're seeing that makes you feel the need that uh, the Mariners need to move on from these guys, not just by the end of the year, but now. Well, we were getting the crowd that said Service needed to be fired because of Rafael Montero still playing. And guess so what So now did? they should be... <laughs> They should be good to go. Yes, Maura. They did what they needed to do. Uh, the Friday news dump of all Friday news dumps. And look, I, I, I don't. I feel bad for him in that he is now without a job. I imagine he will be picked up. But he was bad, and they had to do something about it. There has to be some sort of accountability, even if it is unlucky 
the way that he was out there on the hill, which is what Scott Service described it as, you know? <laughs> Text in. <laughs> They're here. I'm right here. Fire Scott. We are winning in spite of him, not because of him. Uh, well, what happened this weekend? Uh, there were two wins that you won because of past balls. I, I understand that. A little bit of luck on that side of things. Uh, text in, 710-710. The question. The Mariners have a 23-8 and record in one-run games. Is it for a reason or is it a fluke? I don't really see the argument for it being a fluke, writes a texter. Subtract Rafael Montero, a few Mizowitz appearances, and this bullpen had been absolutely dominant. The formula is simple. Get clutch hits and slam the door. They are weirdly clutch with runners in scoring position. In addition to the 23-8 and record that they have in one-run games, they have done really well when there are runners on. Why is that? Is that flukish too? That is less flukish. 23-8, one-run games, you can... You see it in the NFL, too, you know, where teams win by one score or they have a negative point differential or something like that. To the point where you see it in totality and you're like, wait a second, how how good actually is this team? And maybe you go back to 2019 with the way that the Seahawks played. And every single game, except for maybe one, they won by one score, right? Every single game was close. And you think to yourself, okay, well, maybe they're not that good. And then, in the fir- you know, the first round of the playoffs, they beat Philly, but the second round, not so good. There's a reason that I understand why people maybe have some reservations just given the way that they are winning. But when compared to two of the teams that they are going to be competing with for that wild card spot, New York, Oakland, they have shown an ability to keep their pants up and not get pantsed in the big-time spots or pants themselves, which is what Oakland did in back-to-back games. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I I do want to clean this up a little bit earlier. A bunch of people got mad. Did you refer to Edgar Martinez, the Hall of Famer, as to a lesser extent? I was talking about overall superstar power. I understand how locally a different perspective. My perspective on the outside looking in was that the big dogs in Seattle were Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, and A-Rod. In that order. And then Edgar Martinez was awesome. But superstar, I don't know if he was quite there. Whatever the case... Definitely appreciated, and obviously he gets the double, which is the most iconic play in franchise history. So don't get me wrong here. This is not me trying to diminish Edgar Martinez by any means. I'm just saying as far as the superstar power that the Mariners had then compared to now, I mean, Edgar Martinez blows everybody out of the water on on this team, just as far as appeal, et cetera, et cetera. J.P. Crawford, he's making some inroads, but he's going to have to do it for an entire season, I think, to merit getting the J.P., J.P., J.P. chance. And I feel like we got to be a little choosy with the JPJP chance. Make sure that they're coming in in key situations. And and for the most part, I think that I think that y'all have done a pretty good job on that front. Seven ten seven ten. Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. There was another point made too about hey, if the Mariners are doing well and they're in the playoffs, will they be the talk of the town compared to the Seattle Seahawks? A text. I don't understand the apathy the Mariners have earned in this town, but I don't underestimate the apathy the Mariners have earned in this town, but also don't sleep on the hunger we have here to be seen nationally as legitimate. Lastly, don't forget the amount of longtime fans with tons of disposable income. If the M's make the playoffs, you're going to see some sold-out games and hype everywhere, especially if the organization buys at the deadline and shows some faith. Another text, Paul, you don't understand. If this team is in it any shape or form, they will override the Seahawks. You are new here. We'll see. The Seahawks weren't what they were the last time the Mariners were what they were, right? I mean, 2001... That was before 
the Mike Holmgren era ultimately, you know, culminates with the 2005 Super Bowl appearance. And then, of course, the Legion of Boom team. Dynamics of the town have changed just a little bit, I think, over the last 20 years. Now, maybe it can come back, but I feel like for a lot of people, you would be falling in love with something entirely new, where then it had all the makings. I mean, you had that superstar player. You had a bunch of things, I think, that were working in your favor. We'll see, though. Honestly, I'm curious to find out. I don't know the definitive answer, like a lot of people maybe want me to bring to the table right now. A lot of thanks to go around for today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. Michael Bumpus for stopping by in the sports pit. To our caller, Sean in Centralia. Stay on topic next time. <laughs> to Maura Dooley behind the glass who makes this thing happen every single day. I am really Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. See how the Mariners do tonight against the Astros. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.